Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This is like the ninth consecutive year that in January I have taught on communion and foot washing. Nine consecutive years. Uh, whenever I was growing up, uh, this was done quite sporadically. And that, that, that's no discount to anybody, even probably in a lot of churches, it's done quite sporadically. Uh, but I have said if this is something that uh, we endorse and the scripture endorses, then it's something that should be talked about. All right, that's just my feeling, just as much as I talk about anything else repetitively, like repentance, water baptism, things of that notion. However, and I put both together this year, all right, both together, go get both taken care of in one service. So that's kind of a task on my hand, yet on the same mode, I'm only going to be able to hit the tops of the trees, because you all know. I've taken just a Wednesday for communion, a Wednesday for foot washing, and then we have uh, participated in both on those individual nights. So this is a little kind of the tops of the trees, but here's the good information. For all those that have not been in those in-depth studies in any previous years, we have podcasts. You can search up communion and you'll find eight other years worth of teaching. And I didn't just teach the same exact notes every year. All right, so uh, it's there for your perusal. So I'm just going to kind of hit some of the tops of the trees. And, of course, when I say tops of the trees, I'm talking about right above the trunk for me, okay? (laughs) But I'm going to try to do it in a timely manner in which uh, we can get finished tonight. (laughs) Okay, that's the the objective uh, to get finished here this evening. And so whenever we talk about communion and foot washing... uh, Whenever we talk about these two uh, things that would be considered memorials or ordinances uh, that's in Scripture, uh, both of which were uh, primarily instituted uh, by the Lord himself, uh, by Jesus himself. Uh, Whenever we talk about these two things, I think back to them uh, being applicable to the, the greatest commandments that are in the Scripture. You remember the story of the man that came to Jesus and asked him about, you know, which is the greatest commandment of, because they have all these 613, you know, commandments and such. And he said, well, what, does anybody know what the two greatest commandments are out here, audience participation? Boom, right. Love God, love your neighbor, right? Two greatest commandments. He says, all the rest kind of hinge upon these two. If you get these two right, you'll get other ones right. You know, we even see that in the Ten Commandments, that if you get the love your God part right, you're, you're not going to make any graven images. You're going to worship the Lord your God alone. So, and if, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to bear false witness against them, right? You're not going to steal. And so even that goes further. So if you, get, if you get the idea of loving God, loving your neighbor right, then you're going to have a lot of things in alignment that needs to be right for your Christian experience in life. And so whenever I talk about uh, communion and foot washing, I think about communion and foot washing in those two divisions of the greatest commands. Because whenever I think of communion, I'm thinking about how I'm, I'm taking that, that bread and that fruit of the vine and I am reflecting on the sacrifice of the Lord and that creates inside of me a love and an admiration for the Lord and the sacrifice that he did. So there's, there's something there. It's my, it's my love for him that arises whenever I begin to remember 
what he did for all of us for the purpose of salvation. And so then whenever then I think and, and consider foot washing, even whenever I think about it, and that he told his disciples that as I have done unto you, do likewise to one another, then that aspect of the greatest command of loving my neighbor comes into the picture that we'll even look at a little bit more here later, especially when there was some contention among the disciples when that foot washing was instituted among them and such. And even whenever Paul spoke about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, again, there were divisions in that church and they are all in the context of where there have been divisions. People pitted one against the other and the Lord institutes all this. Uh, no doubt there's a sense of humility that comes when you do that. But it, it is a, a, it's, each of these are kind of like an illustration. You know, sometimes you just don't get a concept or idea unless it's illustrated. And even sometimes you don't get it unless you're a part of the illustration. I've had people in uh, my life growing up that someone in a sermon used them for an illustration and they never forgot the meaning of that sermon because they were an integral part of the illustration. And so there's something about in our communion and foot washing taking place in these things that uh, it kind of sears something within our hearts and within our minds. So considering that, because taking, taking the fruit of the vine and the bread, of course, we do not teach nor is it biblically taught, for that matter, that some people miscue scripture, like from John 6 that we studied a few weeks ago, uh, that the bread is absolutely becomes the body of Christ when you put it in your mouth. Or that the fruit of the vine absolutely becomes the blood of Christ. That's called transubstantiation, all right, that other denominal people subscribe to. Uh, but we just do it through the means of symbols, all right? And that's even how the Lord portrayed it when it was done. You know, take, eat this bread, this is my body. Take, take this cup, this is the blood of the New Testament, which was, you know, shed or going to be shed, you know, for you. And so symbols, but Brother McGee, it's just symbols, what's the big deal? Well, you know, all throughout Scripture, symbols were vitally important in the Word of God to God and His people, for that matter. You have all the feast days in the Old Testament. Uh, you, you, you have the tabernacle itself. The, all the sacrifices that were even done in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and things of that nature, all of those in many ways were very symbolic of things that would unfold in the, in the New Testament. Not for that matter. If we didn't think that the Lord uh, didn't think anything about symbols, then whenever Moses smote the rock twice, instead of speaking to it, his smiting the rock twice kept him out of entrance into the promised land. Because the Bible says, that the Lord said that rock which followed them was Christ. It's just a symbol. But he smote it twice. And that's the very thing that kept him from entering. He did it in the eyes of all the people. That's the very thing that kept him from entrance. So just speaking of those type of things, uh, for that matter also, uh, a young king by the name of Joash, he had Elisha uh, that came to him. Right? And uh, Joash was wanting to learn how to, and I've preached about this before, about shooting the bow. And Elisha put his hands around Joash's upon his hands and pulled, he said, pull back the bow. And he shot an arrow out. And he said, the arrow of deliverance, you know, for you, I think it was Syria uh, that he was going to get deliverance from. And then he told, he told uh, Joash, he said, smite the arrows on the ground. And the Bible says he smote the arrows on the ground three times. And Elisha just kind of reprimanded him, rebuked him. He said, you should have you hit it more times than that because now you're just going to get deliverance three times. If you had done it more, he said, you would have complete deliverance. What was that? Just a symbol. 
smiting arrows on the ground, but it kept a man from total deliverance. What, I'm, what are you saying? I'm saying those were just symbols and things that were vitally important in Scripture. And this communion and foot washing in many ways are symbolic of something greater. And they hold importance. They hold importance. Amen. And so uh, whenever we talk about then um, communion, some people call it the Last Supper because it was instituted in uh, Matthew 26 at that Last Supper, which happens to have a tie with the Old Testament. So we can really take communion and tie it all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, because whenever the Lord instituted communion or what was known as the Last Supper, it happened at the Passover meal that the Jews would have year by year by year. And many of you will remember uh, some of the things concerning uh, the Passover, but before we go there, let's consider something else uh, this evening. And that is the mercy seat that was in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. You had three divisions. Three divisions that was of the tabernacle. Right, the outer court, the holy place, and the holies of holies. The holies of holies is where the mercy seat was. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was known in that day, and again, I'm hitting tops of trees, in the book of Exodus, that whenever Moses went in to have, quote-unquote, communion and interaction with God, he did so at the mercy seat. Whenever the priest was going to have communion, interaction with God, he did so at the mercy seat. But the Bible plainly tells us in the book of Exodus that they could not have that communion where that cloud would come down between the two cherubim on the mercy seat. They could not have that without blood. They could not enter that space or that place without blood. I don't know if you can see it. There's a little dot kind of like right there in the middle. There's blood on the mercy seat. They would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. But here's the thought pattern. If there was blood, if they couldn't enter there, have that communion without blood, where did the blood come from? came from a sacrificial animal. The blood belonged to a body. All right? The blood belonged to a body. So it was even a little further. You couldn't have that communion without blood, but you couldn't have that communion without a sacrificial body. Fruit of the divine blood, bread, body. You couldn't have it without both. The communion of those two things. So all the way back even in the Old Testament, we see that. And there's a verse of Scripture that tells us in Hebrews 9, 7. But in the second, and it's speaking of that second, that, that second entrance from holy place to the holies of holies, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year. Not without blood, because he couldn't go there without blood. He had to have blood of a sacrificial animal, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So again, I underscore the fact that blood was necessary, but the, 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 the blood that was necessary also means it necessitated a body somewhere. You just don't just grab blood out of the air, you know what I'm saying? It required a sacrificial body. So that's great all the way back. We're talking about all the way back years ago during sacrificing times in the tabernacle. But then Passover is tied with communion as well. Because we both see blood in a sacrificial animal there as well, don't we? You remember, we got the blood right there, don't we, on the doorposts and on the lintel? That whenever, eat, whenever the Israelites were going to get out of Egypt, get away out from under their bondage of years of being under the Egyptians, what did it require in that holy night? Blood. But that blood came from what? According to Exodus 12. If you want to read some chapters, read Exodus 12, read John 13, read Matthew 26, read 1 Corinthians 11. All of that concerns in some way communion. All right? And so whenever there was the Passover, what did they have to do? There was 
a slain of a lamb, a lamb for a household. They were to take the blood of the lamb, strike it up on the lintel on the doorpost, right? And when the death angel came by, when it seemed the blood that came from a sacrificial body, for that matter, the family inside the house was supposed to eat of the lamb, right? With their loins girt, with the staff in their hand. Why? Because deliverance was on stage. It was going to happen. Huh? And so the deaf angel passes over the homes with the blood, right? And whenever they are gone, here the Israelites are making their march out of Egypt then in that night with a high hand. God had brought deliverance. And that deliverance in many respects, their firstborn did not die. Those of Egypt did die because they did not have the blood nor the sacrificial body with it. See, what all that does is point real fast forward forward. To Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. They couldn't get out of Egypt with a high hand in bondage without blood and a sacrificial body. That points all the way to Calvary that we can't get out of sin without his blood and his sacrificial body. And so when we take communion, we're remembering his blood and that sacrificial body. For that matter, we can remember all the way back as the Israelites did before Christ ever had his death, burial, and resurrection and remember the blood of a lamb. And a sacrificial body in remembrance of these things. Amen. And so, so let's consider the night that they, they, they left Egypt, right? They left Egypt after, after Passover. Whenever that was said and done, uh, Pharaoh's ready to say, you guys get out of here, right? And he wasn't going back on his word this time as he had with all the other plagues. You guys get it. As quick as you can get out of Dodge, get out. You know, the, 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 the slaughtering of the firstborn, that's kind of take, put the icing on the cake. And so this is what the scripture says, Exodus 12, verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, this Passover occasion. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. The Jews still yet today keep Passover. But something that Jesus did in Matthew 26 was at the Passover meal he institutes the taking of the fruit of the vine and the bread, telling them, this is my body and this is my blood when he's not even yet been crucified yet. He's foreshadowing what he was going to be for them. But he's doing it at the Passover meal because he's connecting it with how the old lamb, what it did for them, now him being the lamb of God was going to do for them. Amen. And so he makes a connection. And he says it's to be an ordinance forever. It's to be an ordinance forever. And this is how it impacted them in verse number 17 and how God did this. And this is amazing to me. What, again, thinking in this communion moment that we do tonight, thinking what Christ did for us, Calvary, even all the way back to the Old Testament through the symbolism of a lamb and blood. He says, and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. All right? And for that matter, you know, we have in here tonight unleavened bread. When they left Egypt, the Bible says they had unleavened bread. Uh, because they couldn't wait for it to rise. Leaven is what makes bread puff up. Leaven in Scripture was symbolical to sin. That's the reason why on that night they had to sweep their house and make sure there was no leaven in the house. Did you still do it today? They'll sweep their house. They'll have kids go forth and they'll make sure there's no leaven you know, in the house because they're, they're going to celebrate Passover and they're going to have this coming out, if you will. But this is what happens. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out. That's amazing every time that I read that. Because Israelites in this moment of being in Egypt were slaves. But Christ says, in this day, 
I'm bringing you out. But he says, I'm not bringing you out like a bunch of bound people. I'm not bringing you out like a bunch of slaves. I'm bringing you out, your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by ordinance forever and ever. That's the power of his sacrifice at Calvary. He takes those that were slaves and brings them out as armies. He takes those that had no say-so over their own life, coming out now with power and dominion. And so that's, that's what we... Those are the types of things then that when we do it in remembrance of Him, as Scripture says, those are the types of things that should be you know, coming to our mind. He brought them out of bondage. He sent them out as armies with high hands. There. He, 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 he took away my sin by His work on the cross. You know, Because of Him hanging on the cross, I don't have to... That's what we're doing in communion. We are remembering all these aspects and benefits of Him having done it in our place. Amen. And so this is just something to consider. That we may be one. The high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17, one of the final prayers that he ever prayed, consistently is speaking in there about unity, that they could be one. Meaning that the disciples could be one even as him and his father or as God and Jesus are one because God indwelt Christ. Right? He says I'm ho- uh, that, we, that they might be one. He was looking for that oneness among them. So there is even an aspect of communion we'll look at here in just a moment. A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God book. This is what he said. Think about this. This is neat. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? You know what that means? That means this. I don't have to tune a piano to another piano and then tune that one to another piano if all those pianos just get tuned to the same thing, they're tuned to each other. When I'm talking about loving God and loving your neighbor, and I'm talking about communion and foot washing, sometimes we capitalize on trying to be, I, I need to be in, in step with Alex Mason. I need to be in tune. I need to have unity here. Got some things I need to you know, get right to be right right here. Here's the fact of the matter. If we get in right communion with God, we get in communion with one another. Mm-hmm. Because we're all tuned to the same origin, the same source. So we'll all have the clarity of the same sound. That unity will be. It's not because for me, Paul McGee, and I'm looking at just the people that are here. I'm like, I'm going to be in tune with him. I'm going to be in tune with him. I'm going to be in tune with him. But if we all can be in tune with him, it's taken care of. It's taken care of. Amen. And so it's, it's that unity that's found. It's that loving God. It's loving their neighbor. Again, that underscores some of the reason why I choose for the beginning of the year to do these two things. To cause that, that tune, that sound between God and between one another. All right? So in the Old Testament, we have really origin through Passover. In the Gospels, all right, Matthew 26, the other Gospels show forth, you know, a Last Supper as well. Uh, John, more so, uh, he concentrates upon the washing of the feet. That's where you'll find it in the book of John. Uh, we'll look at this a little later because the Bible says, and supper was ended and then he girded himself with a towel. There's a lot of different opinions and narratives around that, uh, whether or not that supper that was ended was the Passover supper. I'm of the persuasion it was that the communion, the foot washing, both took place in conjunction with the Passover supper that's tied all the way back, amen, to the Old Testament. But nevertheless, 
nevertheless, Old Testament origin, the Gospels then gives us the institution where the Lord instituted communion uh, and so on and so forth. Then whenever you get in the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is observing it again and giving a little clarity uh, in how they should approach it with, you know, a, a reverent attitude. It's just not people up here if they're, you know, elbows on the table and the napkin, they're eating all the unleavened bread and drinking the fruit. No, it's, you know, with a reverent type of attitude with that remembrance of what its purpose is, what it's to cause us to remember and cast our eyes uh, back to, all right? And so when we consider that, look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians 11. This is where Paul gives us a little bit more clarity for observation. He says, for first of all, when you come together, so he, he's given them some instruction. In the church, he said, I hear that there be divisions among you. As I told you earlier, see, there was divisions in the church at Corinth, yet they, they practiced this. And he says, and I partly believe it. You look at verse 19. For there must be also heresies among you, which means sect or groups or even cliques, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So uh, Paul's coming to him and said, there's divisions. Again, so the context in which communion was brought from the Apostle Paul was in the context there's divisions. Well, what good's communion going to do? Communion's going to try to help us think about one another rather than ourselves. Because, see, people were coming to the feast. Some were going uh, ahead of others. Some were taking more than what was proper or appropriate to take. All right? There were all kinds of different irreverent things happening at this, this, this meal of, of the fruit of the vine and the bread that was just irreverent. They were not taking it serious. They weren't doing it for the purpose of remembering what he had done. Because when I remember what he'd done, there's a certain bit of humility, Miss Addison, that comes along with it. There's a certain, there's a, when I think that that should have been me, I mean, when you, I know sometimes it's cliche, right? Because you've been in the church for X number of years and like Christ on the cross and the blood and all that, that's a nice Easter sermon. You know what? Sometimes we need to get tethered back to Calvary for a moment and really think about all the implications. Really think about all the implications. And so he says, I, I come because there was, you know, divisions and such among you going on now. This is where he said, and before this verse, I believe it is, is where he spoke that you need to examine yourself, you know, before you take it. And then another reason why, because when you've approached it other times, you've done it irreverently, right? You've kind of pushed your way in and you've been, you know, you haven't really been considering what's going forth. He says, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, unworthily, I'll get it out of my mouth, make my wife real proud right now, irreverently. All right, is what the word means. Eateth and drinketh damnation, or the word damnation there in the Greek means judgment. Eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Because we know from Corinthians that in real essence that the church is the body of Christ. So there's like a twofold uh, meaning here. Not discerning the Lord's body, meaning that work of Calvary and his body on the cross, but not discerning the Lord's body in the sake of one another. Because you've come irreverently to the table. And you've not, you've not been cautious or, or conscious, rather, of the Lord's body, of your brother and your sister and their needs and perhaps what, what they have. He says, so, so don't approach the table in that irreverent manner. Approach it with reverence. Approach it with remembrance. And remember the sacrifice that was made for you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as oft as ye eat this bread... And drink this cup, he says, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. For as often as ye eat this bread. So, again, 
There's some places that do communion every Sunday. If they want to do that, I really have no problem with it because it says as often as you do it. If you do it once a year, if you do it every fifth year, if you do it once a week, how, whatever that timetable is, he says, just make sure you do this, that you're doing it to shoot forth the Lord's death till he come. Notice my little present, past, future. This is like back to the future for us, okay? <laughs> he says, for as oft as you eat and drink this cup, present. As, as, as oft as you do this in the present, ye do shoot the Lord's death. That's something in their, from their, their station had already happened in the past. So as often as you do this in the present, you're showing forth what was already done in the past, which was the Lord's death, till future he come. Right? And so as we're re- we need to remember what he's done until he comes. We need to remember what was done for us in lieu of us until he comes. The Lord's death until he comes. So we do it in the present because of something in the past until the future. That's my back to the future story. All right? And so here are some things. And I'll, I, I'm already looking at the clock. Did you guys start that right? Uh-huh. You started late, didn't you? Or early. Maybe that was it, early. Um, so... Communion, what, what, what's to communion happen? What, what, what's to take place? What happens? Well, again, number one, we look back to Calvary. And again, we remember, we're thankful. Uh, we examine ourselves. All right? Before we take communion tonight, as we have uh, customarily done, you know, we look at ourselves, we repent. So, oh, I don't know. Take communion, I got to repent. I don't know about you, but I try to practice repentance every day anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We repent. But also we examine ourselves in, are we approaching this in a reverent manner? Am I, am I really taking the gravity of the situation of the body and the blood and considering what took place? I'm looking around, I'm considering one another. I want to discern the Lord's body in communion. Because there's something special about it. Whenever we, whenever we take that and we take that bread and we take that, that fruit of the vine, let's consider that fruit of the vine is made of all these grapes that have been squished. All right? until they have become one. Many individual grapes, but they switch to make one mixture. When you drink it, you're tasting the same thing I'm tasting in that moment. That bread, those, those grains of corn that have been bruised and broken for the purpose of being made, all these different kernels of corn, in the same moment when you taste it, whatever's in your mouth and mine. There is an automatic unity and togetherness just from the participation in the moment. And so we look around, we consider one another, and again, looking I'm looking for the Lord's return because I'm grateful for what he did when the first time he was here. But I can't wait to the day that he comes back because he came the first time, yeah, as the servant, the suffering servant. The next time he's coming, he's coming as the reigning king. He came the first time with all this mercy and grace that we're still benefiting from right now. He comes the second time, he's coming with judgment without mercy. And that's important to think about too. The mercy and grace that we bathe in right now, on judgment, there is no more. America, greater society of the world, church. Amen. Going on. Everybody doing all right? Just the tops of the trees. Just doing a little trimming here. Just a little trimming. Foot washing. Everybody cringes. Ugh. Right? Ugh. 
Because in our modern day, to touch a stranger, even someone you know foot, and wash them is just not custom. Right? <laughs> People are like, yep. All right, foot washing, though. Examples, Old Testament. There's, there are examples throughout the Old Testament of um, people that have come to other ones' homes and they provided water for their feet, right? Uh, Abraham, before Sodom and Gomorrah was ever destroyed, he had three angels that come to their household. He provided water for their feet. And typically, the guests washed their own feet. If we said tonight, well, I'd be all about I'd do that every day you know, or whatever. You know, I wash my own feet. Yeah, great. Jesus just turned. Don't you know anything about Jesus yet? That he takes whatever is normal and turns it on its head. In the New Testament, it's the upside down kingdom. He takes the way that people think and he turns it upside down. It really does. Whoever will save his life will lose his life. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What? Exactly. All right, and so even uh, there was Lot too. Whenever Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, there were a couple of angels that came to visit the city. He invited them in their house. He provided water for them for them to wash their own feet. We read that whenever Abraham's servant that was searching for Isaac, a wife, he went around about, finally found Laban, right? Finally found that wife. Whenever he entered the home, they provided water for their feet for them to wash. There was another old man that was in a city. Uh, this is the story of a, of a Levite and he had a concubine. This is the man in the book of Judges that ends up cutting the concubine in 12 pieces and sends it to the 12 tribes of Israel. If you've never read it, it's a great story. You should read it. <laughs> it's in the book of Judges. Great story. But nonetheless, an old man invited he, them into his house, provided water for their feet, and they washed their own feet. We see this over and over again. I think it was Abigail uh, Nabal's wife, is that right, Abigail, that she even told David that she would wash his feet, right? She wasn't his servant. She wasn't his wife at that time. But she was just like, what? It was her, her way of showing humility. You're the superior, I'm the inferior, all right? And so we have Old Testament places that this happened. Now, I understand as a result, I understand as a result of that, that in Jewish custom, being those are the examples of Old Testament Scripture, customarily for Jews, that was a way that they showed uh, acts of service and hospitality. It was common. It was a way that they showed hospitality. But if we go on, who will wash? Well, again, typically in the Scriptures of the Old Testament, even as we get even into some of the New, if water was, water was always provided usually by the host, but the guest washed their own feet. There are other times that Again, water's always provided. After that, there were other times that there would be servants that would be used to wash the feet, all right? It was typically not a Jewish servant because it was the Gentile, like the lowest of the low, all right? However, there were sometimes the son of the host washed the feet, and whenever that happened, that was nothing more but a high compliment to the guest. For the host to have his son wash your feet, if you were my guest, that was a high compliment. But it never gets any higher than if the host stooped himself and washed your feet. That was the highest of compliments that could be paid unto an individual. Now, Jesus initializes this foot washing. Again, my, 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 my belief from what I read and study is at a Passover meal when supper was ended in John 13, which we'll get to a little later in our series, so we'll be able to look at it a little more in depth. Everybody's excited about it. 
He instituted it there during a moment, and we'll look at it here in a minute. I'm using a scripture from Luke, but remember, there's harmony of the Gospels. A lot of the stories that's found in one is found in the other. They bleed over. What's happening right now here in Luke is during this time of around, amen, the time of the, the initiation or institution of foot washing. This is the scenario for the disciples. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Going on to the next verse. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, speaking to his disciples, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doeth serve. Verse 27. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Right? Because when we consider foot washing, foot washing is really a picture of what God did as coming down as Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus. He left his throne in glory. Right? The Bible tells us in Philippians that he took upon himself, he was of no reputation, but he took upon the form of a man, of a servant. Amen. And so among the disciples at this time, there is unrest among them. Well, I think I'm the greatest. I should say it by the Lord. No, I should. You like the two sons of Zebedee? His mama comes and asks him, Lord, one of my sons sit on your right hand. You're, I should say it by the Lord. You know, all of this unrest among them about who is the greatest. And Jesus is like, you know a good way that I can deal with some strife? Let's wash feet. I told you all before. I know pastors that whenever uh, couples that are married come into their office and they have contentions, some the first thing they do is says, Wash each other's feet. Why? Because there is a sense of humility. As much as you want to say, it does something to pride. Right? And if you remember my teaching ever before from Proverbs, pride or contention only comes because of pride. Anyway, I didn't say I was doing that to anybody next time you came to me, okay? I just say in an example. <clears throat> so when we consider Jesus, right? We consider Jesus in John 13. He washed all feet. All feet. He washed Judas' feet, who was yet to betray him. Betrayal was already in his heart. Matter of fact, when all the supper and everything ended, you remember whenever Jesus finally gives Judas the salt, he says, go do that, which is, go do that. Do it quickly. Well, he was referring to the betrayal, getting the, the scribes and the Pharisees and everybody together and the chief rulers. Go. He washed Jesus. And, and this is Jesus, right? God manifests in the flesh. He knew. This slow down, good for nothing. It's going to lay a smackaroo on me on the cheek later in the garden and it's going to be a kiss of betrayal. Right? He washed his feet. He washed Peter's feet. He washed the apostle Peter's feet. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You'll find out. He says, I'm going to wash your feet. Why? Because we, we, we're trying to bridge the gap here. He washed all the other disciples' feet. Big deal. They all, they all walked away from him in the garden. Every last single one of them fled. Every last single one of them. In the hour, basically, in the hour he, a human being would need someone the most, they left. But he washed their feet. He washed every last single one of their feet. 
And this is what Jesus says in John 13, just a little later after all of the foot washing scenario. The chapter starts out, and we see this at different times. The Lord expresses his love for his disciples, that he loved him. The high priestly prayer expresses that he loved him. The chapter starts out speaking about how he loved them until the end, and he did. He loved them to the end. But this is what he says in John 13. After the foot washing scenario of John 13, he says, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, you've got to watch this because this is kind of peculiar because this looks a lot like the Deuteronomy, the love the Lord your God with all of your heart stuff and loving your neighbor. New commandment, Lord. I think you forgot something. This is a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Love your neighbor. Come on. Right? As I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus, what's the big deal? You say a new commandment. You've done this right after foot washing and you're telling us to love one another. But there's something important here. The reason my personal belief and understanding from what I read and study of scripture, the reason why this is a new commandment is because he's not telling them here, love God. He's not telling them here necessarily, watch me here, Love your neighbor. It's not like Jesus is saying, love, uh, you know, love God or love your neighbor or uh, he's not just saying, you know what? It's not about, this scripture here is not so much about being loved by God as much as it is loving like God. So I didn't say love God. I didn't say love your neighbor. But things change up when I tell you love your neighbor the same way that I've loved you. See, that gets a little bit more detailed. That, 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 that kind of changes the game. You know, he dealt with that a little bit with the Good Samaritan story. Lord, you know, who, who is it that, you know, we should love? Because that parable all came about because of that question. And so he showed them that the Levite didn't care for the man, the priest didn't care for the man, the Samaritan, who was like in the lowest region of the social status, loved him, which they presumably would have believed was a Jew, loved him. What was he saying? He's saying, your neighbor, it's not like you ask, because people want to know, how far do I got to go with my love? Changes everything when you don't just say love your neighbor, but you say love your neighbor Jesus says, as I've loved you. So the newness is, it, is I'm giving you the basis of how you should love. Love as I've loved. And so that takes me back to communion and then it takes me to foot washing. Loving God, loving my neighbor. All right, we got to hurry, don't we? I'm sorry. Luke 7, verse 44. Again, this is just the tops of the trees. I'm telling you, you're thinking, <laughs> no, it is. I look back just today, the first year that I preached or taught on communion, I had 20 pages of notes. Font size 18, in case that really scaring somebody, and it's not like size 10. And nonetheless, 44, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, this is the instance of the woman that came into Simon's house, and she washes the feet of Jesus. I'm, just, I'm using this for a particular purpose. And said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Jesus has entered Simon's house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. That wasn't customary, right? We know this already. That was usually provided by the guests. But she have washed my feet with tears. 
So no water was even given to him, nor was there a servant or anybody to wash his feet. But this woman has come in, washed his feet with her tears of all things. Now you want to talk about bringing your own water. <laughs> Amen. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. Now, I hope you brought a towel tonight. If not, some ladies might have to step into the row of this woman. I don't know. But, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and as a side note, she must have had hair that was of length in order to accomplish that. Just side note, stick it over there somewhere. Verse 45, thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. He says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? For she loved much. And it seems like he's tying, knowing that she loved much through her actions of everything that she has done. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So here is another instance. Feet's being washed. No water was provided, but this lady comes in. Here's something important about her. She wasn't the host. She wasn't required to provide water. For that matter, she wasn't a slave in the household. She wasn't obligated to wash the feet. What is compelling her? Love. Love. No obligation, no requirement. Could have said it's not my responsibility. But she was compelled by love. Going on just a little further here, maybe if I point it the right way. Is that it? Am I at the end? No, I'm not. I can't be. Is it not going? There it is. Leaving or taking responsibility. Leaving or taking responsibility. And, oh, let me back that up. That's supposed to be a picture of Pilate. Remember Pilate in Scripture? Whenever Jesus stood before him, judgment. And uh, at one spot he's like, you know, I find no fault in this man. What would you have, Barabbas or him? Right? They're just like crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate was under a lot of pressure because of the voices of the people. And the Bible says, finally, Pilate grabs a water basin. He washes his hands. He washes his hands to say, do what you will with this innocent man. I don't want any responsibility. Take that and contrast it then to your Lord, who took a wash basin as well. But rather than washing his hands saying, I don't want any responsibility, he says, I'll wash their feet because I do want to take responsibility. So the question tonight is this. Will you grab a wash pan to remove responsibility or to take responsibility? Boy, that's weighty, isn't it? Stand with me. Now, my wife's going to help me, dear, if you can help me. If you desire to participate in communion tonight, we will do this together. I'll read a couple of scriptures from Corinthians 11 about taking the fruit of the vine, taking the cup and taking the bread, and we'll do this together, all right? And again, when we do this, folks, if, if it helps you to close your mind, not, or your eyes, not your mind, please leave minds. Mind's always open when you come in through the double doors, please. Uh, but if you want to close your eyes, if you will concentrate upon the work of Calvary, yeah, the grand dynamic for the church, but think personally tonight for you. What's that mean for you? Whenever you, blood, the, the, when we take the fruit of the Bible, blood was shed, right? The Bible says blood was shed. It wasn't just for sin, it was for sickness too. Blood was shed. It wasn't spilt, it wasn't an accident. 
blood was shed, it was purposeful. And there was a body that contained that. God humbled himself and came as a man, as humanity, because he couldn't redeem us unless he was a part of humanity. And he came down. Whenever I begin to really try to wrap my mind around that, Folks, I'm telling you, that's humbling to me, Sister Sheila. That's overwhelming when I think exactly what he really did for me in order to save humanity, in order to give us a possibility and a road through his death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost to someday make heaven my own personal home. That's really something to consider. And so I approach this tonight, yes, with a certain sense of reverence because I consider what he has done for me. My wife is going to help you tonight. She spread those cups out so you can grab one without touching another. And if you come up tonight with your hand out, she'll put a piece of bread in it so you don't have to constantly be taken from her hand. Look at that. All right? It's almost like a touchless system. All right? And so if you want to participate tonight, amen, you can come, amen, this evening and get a cup and a piece of unleavened bread. It's not puffed up. And we'll do this, and then we will dismiss for uh, foot washing, which is typically ladies on this side in the fellowship hall, men on that side in the fellowship hall. You can, the way in which you can do that is the way in which we take up offering. I would just exit out one side and come back around, all right, just to make it easy. All right, might do it a side at a time, Sister Roberta, sorry. Mason, didn't mean to chop your last name off there. Communion with the Lord. Consider Him. Love God. I'm able to love Him, John said, because He first loved me. I'm able to love Him. I love Him because He first loved me. I love Him because He first loved me. So I'm going to concentrate on that this evening. I'm going to just come back to the old basics point of origin and just remember of, of a body that was bruised, a body that was pierced, a body that was whipped and beat. I'm going to consider that. I'm going to consider the spear that went through his side, the crown of thorns that was upon his heads, the mocking and the ridicule. I'm going to consider the shame of just being totally just, you know, stripped up on that tree. All of those things, being beat with rods and people crying out, prophesy, tell us, son of man, who did that? All of that was for me. All of that was 100% for me. Amen. Yep, next side can come. I don't know why I picked up that microphone as though I was going to use it. I got it right on my face. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm confident probably... Close to 8.30, you can still be out of here. and We'll still be on schedule. <clears throat> Again, and just for those of who may have never participated, feet washing is not like we get out scrub brush, brushes and a bunch of soap and we do anything like that. It's just basically cupping water in your hand and pouring it over the foot of an individual. Many times we pray for that person as we do that. All right. Sorry, I forgot about you guys in the, the box seats there. All right. All right, tonight I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 24 uh, before us, which concerns his body. All right. The Bible says, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, 
which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And you can partake of the unleavened bread. And remember that body that was broken and crushed for you, for us. And it says, after the same manner also, the next verse, if you'll cooperate with me. Can you advance me up there, Brother Zach? Oh, he's not up there. All right, I'll just read it. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This ye do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The thing concerning Christ, it took a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament and their blood every year to push sin forward a year. Him once and for all. Once and for all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. After you do that, can you just extend your hand to that? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.